0: I'd invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to John chapter three. This morning we will be looking at verses sixteen through twenty-one. John three, verses sixteen through twenty-one. I was thinking this morning, what was the sweetest thing that you've eaten this week? The sweetest thing if you could think of—one thing you've eaten this week that you remember as sweet. What was that? A piece of chocolate? A piece of fruit? A piece of candy filled with red dye, number 40? It's my favorite kind. You're about to taste something even sweeter than the sweetest thing that you've eaten this week. Sweeter than honey from the honeycomb is God's word. So let's savor the sweetness that we find here in John 3, verses 16 through 21. Would you stand with me as I read out of reverence and respect for God's word? Let's listen to these verses together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We thank you, O Lord, for your precious word. May it be more precious to us than gold. May it be sweeter to us than the drippings of the honeycomb. And may we have ears to hear, and so keep your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a phase that most toddlers go through, you probably know this phase if you've ever had toddlers, constantly asking you why. With each explanation given, they think it's actually another opportunity for them to ask why again. They even ask it about things that we just take for granted. The sky is blue. Why? The grass is green. Why? After constantly being pelted by this question, if you've ever known this experience, you can be ready to say, because that's why. Although it still only quiets them for a moment or so, Children are those who are inquisitive. They get to that age where they are becoming more and more aware. They're taking in more and more information. And as their minds are expanding, they want to be able to sort out all of that information. They know that things happen for a reason, and they want to know the reason. This inquisitiveness is built into our human nature. It's how we learn and grow. Maybe to some extent we've never gotten over asking why, or at least maybe we shouldn't. We come this morning to perhaps one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, if not the most well-known verse. It's the reference that maybe you see plastered on signs at football games. Or, if you're familiar with the Awana program, it's the key verse that you learn through them at the very beginning. John 3.16. It is a very important verse, a very helpful verse, a very instructive verse. A verse that is loaded with theological truth. But look at the the verse very closely for a moment. John 3.16. And what's the very first word that you see there in John 3:16. It's the word for or we could just as easily translate it because. Now, if you know anything about grammar, it's usually not acceptable to begin a sentence with the word because. if you begin a sentence with because, it doesn't give you all of the information you need. For example, if I said, because I like baseball, you would be missing the main point of what I was saying. You would only have a supporting statement. You would only have a reason, but you would not have and not know all that that statement is supporting. But if I said, I go to the Cubs game because I like baseball... Now you know the main point. John 3.16 begins with because in order to support a statement that has already been stated. It provides a reason, an explanation of something that is already been said. And this explanation, John 3.16, is the greatest explanation that we could ever hope for because this explanation heralds the gospel, heralds the good news of Jesus Christ, and it condenses some important parts of the gospel into one simple sentence. Like that liquid that you have simmering on the stove that simmers down and condenses into this tasty, savory sauce. So John 3.16 condenses the gospel into some savory, delicious truths. But before we get to the greatest explanation, we have to go back to the main point. What's the main point? What has Jesus just said? Well, it's what he said in verse 14. When he said, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Remember, this lifting up refers to the exaltation of Jesus Christ on the cross that brings about His glorification, that brings about His glory. The exalted Son is the suffering Son who bears the judgment and punishment for sinners in their place on the cross. And now this is where our inner toddler should come out and say, Why? Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Why does it have to be this way? Why is this divine must, established by the decree of of the Holy God, put into place? Would you ever have an answer for that? Why did Christ have to die? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? What would you say? How would you answer someone that would ask you that question? Before we get to the reason, the explanation in John 3 16, let's start by just clearing up a little question that some people have. Think about where we are. John 3 Jesus has just been having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And there's a question that arises among some because Jesus has just been directly quoted by the Apostle John in verse 15. And the question becomes, now in John 3, 16, are these Jesus' words continued or are these John's words as a commentary? We have a problem because In the original language, in the Greek, there's no quotation marks. In our language, we have quotation marks that tell us this is a direct quote. This is something that is being said specifically, directly. In the original, there are no quotation marks. I think that John 3.16 is most likely a commentary by the Apostle John on what Jesus has just said. So to go back, is John 3.16, think about it this way, is it part of the red letters or is it part of the black letters, right? You know those red letter Bibles, right, where all Jesus' words are in red letters? Is John 3.16 red letters or is it black letters? I think John 3.16 is most likely black letters. For one thing, you see here, he gave his only son, that designation, only son, is often used by John, never used by Jesus in a direct quotation. Also, talking about God here, this word that's used for God, is never used by Jesus in his direct quotes that we have. But let me help you here for a moment. Go back to that question. Is John 3.16 red letters or black letters? Is it? Jesus direct quote, or is it a commentary by John? And let me say this. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Why would I say that? Because John 3:16 is scripture. It's God's word. It's God's word that's been God breathed. So whether Jesus said this from his own lips, whether John wrote it down for us to have, what is it? It is God's word. Either way, it doesn't matter. So we take in John three sixteen for what it is. It's God's word for us. It's God's encouragement to us. It's God's word to transform our lives and shape our hearts and minds and souls. And that brings us now back to the why question. Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Well, it's going to come to us in two points this morning. If you have a bulletin, there's an outline there. If that is helpful for you to follow along, you can do that with me. Why must the Son of of Man be lifted up, number one? Because God's love has come come to a lost world to save it through belief in the Son. God's love has come to a lost world to save it through belief in the Son. Here is the amazing answer and reason to the question, why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Because God so loved the world. God wanted to show His love. God wanted to reveal His love and to lavish His love on the world. The Son of Man had to be lifted up so that the love of God would be proclaimed to the world. God demonstrates His love to the world by lifting up the Son of Man on the cross. What might we learn from such a love? Well, this is a love that is not content merely to say, I love you. Couldn't have God just let the world know that He loved the world with sincere and heartfelt words? No, He had to show His love. It is an action. Something He did as an expression of His love. Think about what John says in 1 John 3.18. It says there, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Is it not that we love this way because this is the way that God has so loved us, in deed and in truth? It was the action of giving His only Son. Perhaps your translation or the way that you learned John 3.16 says, only begotten Son, The idea behind this word is that Jesus is the unique Son. He is the one-of-a-kind Son, a Son who has close, intimate relationship with His Father. This is Jesus, um, of whom God the Father said, "'This is my beloved Son with whom I am well-pleased.'" And the giving of his beloved son is not merely like the giving of a gift, although Jesus is the greatest gift, but this idea of giving is actually God saying, I'm giving up my son. I'm giving up my son to death. I'm giving up my son to sacrifice. It reminds us of that day long before Jesus' day when the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis 22, verse 2, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine what went through Abraham's mind as he and his son made the trek up the mountain. Abraham was going to offer up his son, his little lamb. Lord, I know you are holy. I know you are holy, and I will obey you. I know, Lord, that you will provide a sacrifice. In fact, that's what he says to his son Isaac. Remember, Isaac, they're going up to the mountain, and they say, he says to his father, Father, I, I see all of the things necessary to build the altar. I see the wood on which to burn, with which to burn the offering, but we don't have a lamb. We don't have an offering. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. The Lord did provide. A ram caught in the thicket. That's how the Lord provided a uh, sacrifice on that day. But for God the Father, that meant providing salvation through the sacrifice of His own beloved Son. Who would do this? Who Who would take this kind of action to show love? What kind of love is this? This is nothing but the covenantal, steadfast love of the Lord. It's the binding, promissory, never giving up, never ending, always and forever love. Is that the love that you see when you look upon the Son of Man lifted up on the cross? Is that the love of God that you know through having Jesus Christ forgiven you of all of your sins? This is what... Is at stake. God's love provided His own Son to secure your eternal destiny in the realm of life. Remember the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He now seals. the new covenant with the love that is His through giving up His Son on the cross. But there's also another aspect of this love. What kind of love are we talking about? This is a gracious love. For God so loved the world. We think of the world, we think of it as big as immense. So God's love must be big if He loved the whole world. But John does not use the term world for us to marvel at its size, at its bigness, as it were, but to marvel at its badness. This is the world that God loved, a world that had rebelled against Him, a world that had rejected Him It's the rebellious world of his image bearers that have gone against him and against his ways that he loved. Think about whom God loves. God loves people like us. It's a love that we do not deserve, it's a love that is selfless and costly so is the intensity of God's love for the world. And I marvel at how this verse begins, because it does not say the Son of Man must be lifted up because we were deserving of His love. It does not say that the Son of Man must be lifted up because we love God first, It does not say the Son of Man must be lifted up because we were deserving of His love. No, this verse starts where the gospel always starts, with God. God loved first. God gave His love through the sacrifice of His only Son to undeserving and ungodly sinners such as us. God initiated and sought to redeem a people so that they could have eternal life. Are you here this morning and you're wondering if God could ever love someone like you? God, you don't know the things that I've done. For God so loved the world. God, you don't know the things that I've said, the things that have come out of my mouth. The hatred and vitriol. That I've said with my mouth, for God so loved the world. God, you don't know the things that I've thought in my mind, the grossness and detestable things in my heart. For God so loved the world. God loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice how this verse expands, expands upon the verses that are just before it. Remember verse 13 and 14 there, or ex- excuse me, verse 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Remember, the serpent that was lifted up on the, in the wilderness was for the Israelites to look at. They were to look at that serpent and they would live, they would be healed. Now, now, John expands this, that whoever, people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation, whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, whoever puts their faith and trust in Him, should not perish, will not be lost forever, but will have eternal life. This is eternal life that doesn't emphasize the quantity of life per se, that is, it lasts forever, but the quality of life. What kind of life is this? The quality of life is such that this is eternal life that we know now and on into the future, forever and ever. It's eternal life that we know now as those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and that we will know forever and ever and ever. Do you have a quality life? Is your life quality? How do you judge the quality of your life? By how much money you have? By how many possessions you have? By the circumstances in your life? If everything was just going my way, my quality of life would be really good. Or is your quality of life based on this? That you've believed in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. And you've been forgiven by Him. And you know the love of God. different kind of quality of life than this world knows. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus came to save the world through his sacrifice on the cross. And those who believe in him are no longer condemned, but are justified, are righteous in the eyes of God. Why didn't God send his son into the world to condemn the world? Because the world stood self-condemned. The world Jesus came into was not a neutral world where he came to save some and condemn others. It was a completely lost world where people were spiritually dead and condemned already because of their unbelief. The lost world was in need of a Savior before the Son came on His saving mission. And the one who remains in unbelief compounds his or her guilt by not believing in the name of that Son, not believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ, not believing that He bears the divine name, and so believing that He is God incarnate who was lifted up on the cross. What is John encouraging us to hear? Do not persist in unbelief, but believe in the name of the only Son of God, and then revel in God's love lavished upon you. Number two, why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Because God's light has come to a dark world to warn it against rejecting the sun god's light has come to a dark world to warn it against rejecting the sun and this is the judgment the light has come into the world to warn of judgment punishment condemnation the unbelieving world was under god sent His light, the light of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the same light John has already written about in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The world was covered in darkness. Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light, but the persistent darkness was due to unbelief in the world. And John probes the depth of this human unbelief by showing that the root cause of people's rejection of God's love in the gift of His Son is love of a different kind. What does it say here? The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. They loved the darkness because their deeds, their works were evil. They had a morality issue. They had an integrity issue. They had a heart issue. And so they hated the light and ran from the light lest the light should shine upon them and expose them for who they truly are. Sinful human nature is like a cockroach. That when the light Shines, they scurry off into the darkness. They do not want to be exposed. But there's more here. Not only was it fear of exposure, it also meant the fear of shame and conviction. That's what happens when the light shines on those who are guilty sinners, not only are you exposed, but there's shame that goes along with that, and there's conviction. I've seen it. I've experienced it. People who cannot stand church, they cannot get out of church fast enough, they squirm and are uncomfortable like worms writhing on hot pavement, all because they are desperately trying to avoid conviction of their sin. They would like to find a church where there is no conviction of sin, a place where they can hide, a place that's all happy, clappy, trite, spirituality, that is shallow as it is hollow. It's in places like these that make all these promises of filling them up but leave them empty, weak, and a shell of of the person they were meant to be. A church where there is light, a church where there is Christ, a church where there is the Spirit, and the work of the Spirit comes the conviction of sin. And listen carefully, it's not my job to convict you of sin. It's work of the Spirit of God and the Word, working in tandem. And that's a very good work, it's a very necessary work, it's a very important work, because that is the gospel at work. With the coming of the light into the world, a dividing line has been drawn, a dividing line between those who reject the sun and so remain in darkness and those who believe and accept and receive the sun and so do what is true. There are those whose lives will end up lining up with the truth or those whose lives will line up according to the darkness. So this is the last verse. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. In doing the truth, these people who believe come to the light. And let's make sure we get this right for a moment. It's not their morality, their doing good, their practicing of the truth that saves them. What John is saying is that their profession of faith will be consistent in actual practice. Because they've believed, because they've received, because they've trusted in Jesus Christ, their lives then will reflect the truth of Jesus Christ in how they live their lives. No hypocrisy here. They won't just talk the talk, they'll walk the walk. In fact, what does it say in 1 John? 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Turn there with me if you want. It would be helpful, I think. 1 John chapter 1, towards the back of the Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with Him, that's with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If you say that you believe in God, and you believe in Jesus Christ, and you have put your faith and trust in Him, you will walk in in the light, as He is in the light, and we will then have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. I think it's similar to what John is saying here in 321. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. You'll see their life. It will be evident in how they live their lives. Their profession of faith, their belief in Jesus Christ, will show itself in how they live their life, their actual practice. This is the outcome of a life that has believed in the Son of God and has received eternal life. It's a life that is turned to the light in all of its thoughts, actions, motivations, will, and affections. All of these are turned Godward. Then we say, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Look at what Christ is accomplishing in my life. Look at what He is doing in me. That is what it says here at the end. That so that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. It's seen that all the things now that we do are done in Union with God done through God and therefore are done by the power of God that's how these works are being done not by our own effort but because God is at work in us it's his power that helps us to do these works so that whatever we do whether we eat or drink or whatever we do we do everything for the glory of God And this is where we must not get it backward. We must not get it wrong. We must not get the greatest explanation of the gospel backward. Here is what C.S. Lewis said that people think if they get it wrong. He says that sometimes people are backward if they say, God will love me because I am good. That is not the gospel. That is not why God so loved the world. What is it then? It is that God will make me good because he loves me. His love is first. His love is everything. His love is what ultimately saves us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He would give His only Son to make a wretch, a wretch like me, a wretch like you, a wretch like us, to make a wretch His treasure. Father, thank You for Your Word, which has come to us today. Thank You that we've been able to read it, seek to understand it, bring it to light in our hearts and minds, that we might accept it. Father, if there's anyone here today who has not believed in Christ, May today be the day that they give themselves to him. May today be the day that they no longer hide in the darkness, but may they come to the light. Father, I pray that we would not forget this great explanation of the gospel. Why must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross? Because you loved us. Because you gave up and sacrificed your only Son. Because you desired to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because you wanted to make us like Jesus. Help us to hold fast to these truths today and for the rest of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.